0: This year's winner of the Iris
1: Prize, congratulations! Wow,
2: that's, that's quite... filming
1: <laughs> Head to our website then click on Festival. This is where you'll find and watch all of this year's films. Hello, welcome to
3: the Iris Podcast.
1: This year we're
4: all about Best of British. Welcome to opening night of the 14th Iris Prize LGBT Plus Film Festival.
1: For nearly two decades, Emmanuel Anya Sigue's obsession with diversity has won the hearts and minds of filmmakers and audiences alike. His blueprint for how minorities should be represented has stood the test of time, long before the penny dropped for other institutions far and wide that diversity truly matters. This year, as Buff marks its 15th anniversary, the more things change the more things stay the same. Never has diversity been more relevant than in 2020. And as long as the issue remains in the public eye, Emmanuel has ensured that for creatives everywhere, the British Urban Film Festival is a broad church that welcomes all creeds and all colors, comfortable in its own skin and bold in its approach to storytelling and showcasing film as seen through the social and cultural lens. From BFM to Buckingham Palace, it's been quite a journey for the man who literally bet the house on making Buff the success that it is today.
4: Welcome guys to British Open Film Festival Q&A on the back of watching you guys' films. Um, welcome, how's everyone doing?
3: Good, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> good, yeah, good. doing good, thank you.
4: Good, good, good. So, um, yes, this is our Q&A, so we're going to just uh, ask some questions. And But before that, I'd like you guys to introduce yourself and let me know the title of your film uh, on my screen, uh, Kadeem, you're on, your le- on the left, so we can start with you, Kadeem
0: all right okay cool <laughs> um so yeah my name's uh kadeem anna white i wrote and directed south beast um it's the last episode of a 10-part web series and it's the longest episode um so essentially it's the climax of everything that's happened prior um so should any of you guys be interested it is on youtube uh, available to stream so <laughs> do go check that out um but yeah it's ultimately the climax of everything that's happened so far our main character is faced with a dilemma that she has to face she has to learn some new truths about what's happening around the people who are closest to her and um you know she's coming out of a situation where she's been vulnerable a lot and you know she's averted crisis and been a part of a lot of problems in herself so she's kind of waiting for the cool down. Now there's this whole new eruption that's happening and things are thrown out of the mix again. So um, yeah, it was, it was great to, to put together. It's probably one of my favorite episodes, best scenes, um, and yeah, we managed to get a nomination out of it. So it's great. And
4: just a quick question. I'll ask the same question to everyone else as well. How did you come to uh, direct this film, look-y?
0: Um, so it's a project that i had written a few years ago. It took about two and a half years to write. Um, I had the pleasure of working with my cousin and a very close friend, uh, Benita, Rochelle Brady, and Sasha Cunningham. Um, and essentially what happened was the project was originally just a short piece. It was just a page and it was a, a suicide note. And the note was for, for someone who was in a situation where they felt like they had no escape, but they really wanted to express themselves. So regardless as to whether they went through with it or they didn't, this was how they felt in that moment. And um, it was based on someone who was very close to me at the time and was enduring a particular situation. So I approached them with it and they liked what i come up with and they expressed their their thoughts. Obviously it's um, a fictional piece, so it's not, based on anyone's real feelings and stuff. Um, but yeah, she, she really liked it. And um, I went and I spoke to Sasha and Benita and I said, you know, I've written this and I think it'd be great as a short, but I feel like it could be something more. So we sat down, we wrote, put the project together. And when it came to it, I only wanted to kind of do the editing. I never really wanted to do the directing, but um, both, my colleagues thought that there was no one better to put it together. So I just went for it. Um, There was a lot of planning, like all of that, getting people together, figuring out what shots you're going to shoot and, you know, ticking stuff off, making sure that everything's done. Um, So it it was a process, but uh, yeah, I just literally just went for it. Uh, Yeah, and it worked out. (laughs) Cool.
4: Thanks for that, Kadeem
3: and Shakira. Yeah, hi everyone, my name is Shakira Francis and I am the writer-director of The Lost Land Girl, um, essentially a period drama based in 1944 and it's about two black British sisters who joined the Women's Land Army, um, essentially fighting to do their duty. And it's just about how that evolves and what that that means to them and um, their experiences on that farm, essentially.
4: And how did you
3: come to direct this piece? This piece has, I guess, been a long time in the making. I went to drama school and I graduated um, 2015. And I had an idea what we were allowed to do essentially for our last, I guess our last assignment was you could even make you can make a short film. And one of my ideas was actually to think about doing something um, in regards to the nurses during, during the war. Um, because a lot of my family members are nurses, um, and sort of an ode to my heritage of Caribbean heritage, um, I wanted to do something in relation to that. Um, and eventually, my idea didn't get get picked <laughs> to do, which is fine. Um, and it kind of developed, and in 2017, I was selected for um, Creative English Short fix program, and I got to develop it a little bit further over two days with professional help. Um, and then I kind of started um, really developing it after that because they gave me so much um, information and so much um, help to really develop that story as a whole. Um, and um, I met uh, my producer, Addy, um over Twitter, funnily enough, um, and she lived in the same area as me, which was fantastic. Um, and she read it and she was like, yes, we have to make this. So we applied to the BFI for funding and we got it thankfully and which was just such a blessing um and yeah from there we're just like okay we're doing this this is what we're going to do we're going to make it and we made it and it really is a piece so close to my heart because it essentially it is a love letter to all the um west indian um men and women who fought during both wars and just haven't been recognized and that's what i wanted it to be that is how that was the piece i wanted to create
4: Thanks for that, Shakira. Philippe, um, yes, please tell me about you and your film.
2: Um, so, hey guys, um, so my name is Philippe Audidor, Um and I directed the short film called Ruby Red. So, uh, Ruby Red is the. It takes place at a house party. It's getting quite late, and uh, two, two, one guy and one. Uh, young woman uh, end up in a bedroom basically and the way the story unfolds is that uh, she tries to coax him into for for him to reveal basically his sexual fantasy to her and as things go along he eventually does reveal uh, his innermost uh, secret desires and then her reaction is not necessarily what he was expecting and then Drama unfolds uh, that's basically Ruby Red
4: and how did you come to direct this film
2: um i so I uh, studied uh, directing in a in a drama school actually so uh, link to drama um, so I did that for a bit and then I worked for quite a few years as an assistant director and then different jobs and I hadn't directed in quite a while and I was just like, hey, I need to start directing it again. Otherwise I'll just never get back into the directing chair. So I was like, just sat down, I love to write. So I just was like, I'll just write this, this small piece. And that's how it came about. And what was really nice about it is that I was able to contact all of the crew I had worked with over the years, usually as an assistant director uh, or set photographer whatever I was doing. And then for this project, I could just really get everyone, I had met over the years and shoot this short film all together. So it was just such a nice experience, both for me to get back into directing and telling a story I really cared about. Because I'm interested, the the story for me talks about masculinity and what we're kind of able to explore and what still feels a bit off limits. Um, So from that point of view, and then just from a filmmaking point of view, it was just great to get all of these people you've met over the years and together over two long nights, just shoot something So that was, yeah, it was a really nice way of getting back into directing.
4: Thanks for that, Philippe. Uh, Mike, uh, please introduce yourself. Tell me about your film.
5: Hello, my name is Mike Brown. I'm the writer, screenwriter of Thousand Lights of Sun. Thousand Lights of Sun is a short film about a young father named Jeremy who struggles to provide for his family on the night of his son's 10th birthday Uh, Jeremy's desire to to provide a better life for his family lands him in a predicament that would change him forever.
4: And uh, how did you come about writing this particular film?
5: Well, in the summer of 2019, I was writing and came across a Langston Hughes poem as I grew older and that really inspired me. Um, I intended to make a film that um, Promoted the humanity or revealed the humanity and complexity of a Black man who had been traumatized by police. So uh, I wrote several drafts of the script and brought it to my producer, um, team, producing team, Margie Merritt and Ilya Katsap and Darius Monroe. And they, and they liked it and invested in the project. And um, from there, I teamed up with Justin T. Davis, a cinematographer, a gaffer turned cinematographer. And um, that's, that was the beginning of, of the film, beginning of the makings of the film.
4: Cool, so we've got a little introduction to you guys and your films. So I'm gonna just start asking these questions. I think I'm gonna pick on you instead of going in the order. So, um, let me know what was the most challenging part of all the process of making this movie for you. And this question it goes to Shakira.
3: Oh, my goodness. So I don't know why, but I wrote all my scenes outside except for one. There was one indoor scene in England. I don't it just how does that make sense? So obviously it has to be the English weather. That was the most challenging part of the entire thing it rains completely for the first day so we show it over three days and it just it just rains completely and um thankfully I mean there are some shots in there that are actually where it's just film pelting down I don't know if you're able to notice it or not but um it was it was so challenging to get all the scenes done and think that oh my gosh we've only got a set amount of time to do this Um, and the first day was completely washed out um, but then, then the other two days was complete sunshine. So it was just, you know, um, pros and cons, but definitely managing that kind of to make sure it all matches well. Cause obviously it's very um, jarring to see something, you know, that was supposed to be supposed to happening in the same day or at the same time to have one scene that's completely rained out. And then the next scene completely, completely, you know, sunny and sunshine. So you're trying to get that continuity was probably the, the biggest challenge of the entire shoot, um, but I think we did well. I mean, I'll let you guys decide for yourselves if you thought, if it worked out well.
4: Was it a challenge casting um, actors who spoke French? I think it was French. Um, spoke French, or did you? Did they have to learn the lines in French, etc.?
3: So the language is a creole. So it's Saint Lucian creole. So which is kind of essentially a broken French. I guess you could call it. Um, and um, it was a challenge finding because it's so specific to St. Lucia, and there's like 250,000 people on St. Lucia, and um, it's a small island. So, finding um, people that or actors that spoke um, Creole was quite difficult. So, I did end up casting people who didn't speak Creole and they had to learn it, um, but my family helped out with that, so, um, and they, they really did um, um, do well with it, I think. It did come off very, very naturally to me anyway.
4: Cool, thanks Shagira. Um, same question to Philippe. What was the most challenging process of making your film?
2: Um, so like opposite to Shakira, I was like, I don't want to be outside and dependent on the weather at all. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll, this will be easy. I'll shoot all of this in one same location, in one room. And well, basically it, the same problem was continuity because we didn't have, so, you know, I was like, oh, it's easy, we'll control everything. Um, but the because of the amount of time we had and we were filming on 16 mil, so we, we couldn't shoot, so it's essentially like one long scene and we, we couldn't shoot it chronologically. So you end up kind of filming this scene, like going from, you know, you're, you're it, it's all dependent on the camera, basically on the positions of the camera. So you're going from like, okay, this is a like really intense moment and then cut. And then we're going back to it. Like they're all laughing at this point. And then you're, as the days go, on, you know, like at the end of the second day, you're like, is this gonna match to what I filmed like 48 hours ago? And you're just, Like that was just basically continuity-wise. It was really, I think, yeah, it was challenging. And that's what I was the most scared of. I was like, what if I'm dragging everyone through all of this and I get to the editing room and none of it matches together? Because also you'll see there's like a lot of lighting change, like the light changes a lot throughout. Um, And so, yeah, having that, changing the lighting setups, but then making sure that they would work when it came to editing, that was, I was, I was, terrified so but it i think it worked out in the end but that was a challenge basically i hadn't anticipated how difficult that would be also so i think that's why i was just most like so surprised by it um but it worked out so uh but i will never write again like a 7 minute film that happens in one same space it's never happened again
4: <laughs> uh, so it's funny that when i was watching your film actually you mentioned the lights and i was quite impressed with how you made it look like this kind of like a dreamscape world so I was wondering if you could just talk through that process, what made you um, like have the idea or yeah, what made you have the idea to do that? And how did you achieve it?
2: Um, so at first um, the idea came, well, I, I knew I wanted to find some way of making the, the, this, like we, we, the film starts out and it feels, even though it's a party, like it feels fairly grounded in reality and then I kind of want it to play with this feeling of like are we like where are we like is this a like fantasy is this real but not not for it not to be too obvious and I thought lighting would be a great way to go about kind of creating this very style everything becomes very stylized because of the lighting but it's it's grounded in a very realistic it's just a bedroom you know so I was like this could be a cool way of doing it and I'm slightly obsessed with like these LED lights that go in different colors. So I just had them in my bedroom and you can put them on this rotation thing where they just like change, you know, change colors. And I was just like, as you're writing, I was like, ooh, this would be crazy to do. Um, So at first I wanted it to be like constantly changing and then it came to the realities of shooting. And I was like, this is going to be a nightmare. So I decided to kind of break down the scene depending on what's happening emotionally, you would have a different kind of lighting that would kind of coat the scene uh, during that emotion. Um, And then find the moments of transitions where we would change the light. And then it was just a lot of planning. And yeah, we had like different uh, technical difficulties doing that. So we'd be like, we were supposed to be able to like gradually change it in a like nice subtle way and then that couldn't work so we'd have like some people like hiding the light bulbs uh, like of one color others then and we'd, we'd have them like as the actors were acting they would have to like slide this out hide this one so there's a color change I mean I don't think you would notice any of it hopefully when you're watching the film but it was this whole massive process and then you're just like was this really a good idea, was this worth it? When I was in my bedroom, I was like, well, this would be insane, right? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is actually insane to make. But um, we got there. Our really great director of photography, Pablo Rojo, and he he was awesome. So this all goes to him.
4: Cool, thanks, Philippe. Um Kadeem, same question. What was the most challenging part of the process of making this your your episode?
0: Editing. Editing was the most challenging, took the longest amount of time, Um, took three months to put the whole series together. Uh, And I know the episode that was submitted took at least three or four weeks. Um, The biggest problem with editing that I found more so came from the fact that I'd hired someone for sound and the sound that we got back, half of it was like blank. So I had to do a lot of like rework with the default audio that we got, which as you can tell on camera is never ever gonna be great. So a lot of mixing, it just made the process the more longer, but um, there, I mean, there was a blessing in that as well, because, you know, you get to see how you can rework certain elements and just watching your own project come together um, as painful as it was to do, like it was beautiful to watch and see transpire. So, yeah.
4: So you you submitted the uh, finale of um, South East, which is episode ten, and I was wondering, like, because when when writers when when they're creating uh, episodes or directors as well, how do you manage to hold back the big reveal? Because I think I can imagine myself. I was writing by episode two, everyone dies. You know, <laughs> this is my, how do, you, how do you make sure that you're like, no, no, i got, no, got to save it, And i got to save the. And then also I, I can imagine trying to th- think of ways to drop in hints of ways to kind of go, ah, there's where the story arc goes. So was that a difficult process or did you find it quite? It, it I think for anyone that would be a challenge um,
0: because you know what it is that you're creating and you know what you want people to see but it's literally just picking when to put the cutoffs in and when to put the reveals in. Most times um, in a series you'll get uh, like a reveal coming either in the middle of that episode or towards the end. If it's at the end, it will act as a cliffhanger, take you into the next episode or season finale. If It's in the middle, then you're giving the audience a chance to take in new information once that's been put in you're just planning for the next one do you know what I'm saying so um yeah it would be challenged for anyone but thankfully I, I didn't have to write by myself um so I had Sasha I had Benita um and when you have a team like that where you can bounce ideas off um maybe on more occasions than one like I was a bit like No, that's not a good idea, (laughs) when it's your own, you probably do that naturally, but um, yeah, um, had a great team. Uh, I asked a lot of people for their advice as well. I had um, Laura Maranello, she was uh, someone who um, observed the script, proofread everything, and, you know, she would feedback and stuff as well. So yeah, I just kind of, you know, worked together with everyone and kind of just figured it out. yeah, I think, I think we did all right this time
4: around. Yeah, you guys did, man. <laughs> uh, thanks, Kidding, Mike, so um, similar to Philippe, I actually had the privilege of watching your film first because it was in my crop of films to go through. And as you imagine, there was like hundreds and hundreds of submissions, so we all split them up. Um, but I was, yeah, similar question to you. Uh, well, same question, actually. Um, what was the most challenging part of making your film? In the process of it?
5: Well, we were working within some budget constraints. Um, I largely funded the film from family and friends. And I think the most challenging part was securing locations. Um, we had within, within our budget constraints, we had uh, the apartment came fairly easy, um, but the garage and the restaurant um, was we had some, a bit of challenge securing um, those locations. Our first choice locations um, seemed like they had came through. We had some word of mouth commitments, but at the last minute they were canceled. So I do recommend, um, I, which I learned again, um, it was reinforced to get uh, any uh, location agreements in writing and um so once we my but my producing team worked very hard margie and rich to uh find replacements at the last minute so that it all worked out um
4: i was gonna ask you as well so towards the end there's a there's a moment where he's trying to get back to the restaurant and um he basically he comes across a, a police who were trying to yeah. stop him. did you have a um, how do you say, like a um, an idea to kind of investigate that route more as in like making that a bigger part or because I feel like it was a bit of a decision made, which I thought was a good decision actually to kind of go and on top of all this, boom, that's another issue. But did you were you tempted to kind of go
5: down that route as well? Towards well, your- I, I knew that there was going to be a thread in the film. And I largely wanted the film to be about him um, with his family and showing the different emotions and uh, showing his showing the spectrum of emotions and uh, the life that he lived uh, um, before he encountered the police just so he could show that he was a human being um, so but I knew that the, the police encounter would be a thread in the film and I wanted to make it realistic as possible, but not traumatize the audience. Um, because we see that so much in mainstream media that I I'll try to not um make it in a way where the audience would be um, where the audience would be basically traumatized, but they would but they would get the point. And um so that's that's was my thinking in and in, in that portrayal. And um, and um, I really wanted him to reunite with his family at the end, because a lot of times we normalize trauma and we're uh, and so it's just a small conversation starter for these type of stories.
4: Cool, thanks, Mike. Thanks, um, Mike. Next question. Um, what scene are you most proud of? Um, this question goes to Philippe.
2: <laughs> um, I think the one I'm probably the most proud of is um, there's, the, the, there's a moment where he kind of, so he, he, eventually the character says, what's his fantasy? And then she, she helps him um, Achieve it. I don't know how to say it. Anyway, <laughs> you'll see. Uh, but basically, it was shot kind of in. It was one one long shot, um, which uh, and then we intersliced it with just a few um, extreme close ups, and I think that's I we, I decided like to cut all sound out of that moment. So there's just, it's complete silence. And it's those moments like when you're envisioning it, you're like, I think this could really work hopefully, but because it's gonna be like in one go, you're hoping that it's gonna be fine with the actors and like the the camera's gonna work and the silence. And I was like, if we, if we, if this doesn't work out, it's the the film is just not gonna, (laughs) it's it's just gonna be a flop and, now when I when I watch it as a director I'm always you know like yo I I don't know about you guys but for me like everything I'm like criticizing it again and again I'm like I should have done done this but that moment I'm like no actually like it's still emotionally like it still really resonates with me I feel it works I feel that silence just really pulls you in rather than just kind of creates a distance with the audience but at least for me like it really I kind of like want to be even closer to the screen so um yeah, I'm I'm really happy with that that moment. I feel it it worked. So, you'll tell me what you guys think once uh, you've seen it. But hopefully, you like it too. Uh,
4: thanks, Philippe. Um, same question to Shakira.
3: I think my favorite scene has to be the only indoor scene, <laughs> not because it was the easiest to shoot, but simply because that indoor scene um we shot it sort of over the shoulder but we were in a reflection in a mirror so that that scene really represents just a moment of decision and calm and I think throughout the throughout the film all the other scenes there's just there's a lot going on under the surface and this scene is really just a moment of reflection and I like that it the pause in the film it that's I guess I, what I would like to call it. it's just it's just the pause in the film that happens and I really like that because it, it, it um it gave it gives the audience just I guess a moment to comprehend everything that's just happened um and to see kind of the effects of what's happened as well um in that particular moment.
4: Thank you Shakira. Uh, Kareem.
0: Um, best scene, I think, so there's a moment, moments after um, our main character gets shot um, and the killer is fleeing the scene and there's a bit of a chase going on Um, and that was actually reworked by the actors. Uh, the first time we shot it, we shot it in daytime um, for s- scheduling reasons, but when it came out, I mean... I was pretty happy with it, but they were quite adamant about, you know, the, it feeling different, like the night that we were shooting and it was the one night that we had, I'd say about 80% of the cast, like all together. So, and it was a whole like party and vibe scene and it was fun. So, um, yeah, I was just like, you know what? If you guys really want to do it, this is your project as much as mine. That's us i with it. Um, and it gave me a, a chance to kind of re-envision. The scene as well. Uh, I like the way it came out to the part where um, she gets away the killer, and I'm actually the person in, in the driver's seat. <laughs> so it was kind of cool, um, but yeah, that's that's my favourite scene.
4: Cool, <laughs> thanks, Gadi. <Kadeen>. I <laughs> hope you put your name in the credits as well, man. <laughs> yeah. um, Mike, yes, same question to you, Mike. What's the scene that you're most proud of on your
5: film? The scene that I'm most proud of in Thousand Likes of Sun has to be the kitchen scene where the father is uh, and his girlfriend have an emotion-filled and heartfelt conversation. And that's juxtaposed with the uh, son who's playing in the, sh- in the light of the projector. So I feel like that scene resonates with me the most because of their conversation and because of the imagery. And we shot it handheld. And I thought that that was a good technique to really um, bring the audience into the emotion of the scene.
4: Yeah, I really enjoyed that as well. Mm, Yes, so next question. um, If you had unlimited budget, what would your next film project be? If you had an unlimited budget, what would your next film project be? I'm gonna, I'm gonna go straight back to Mike, actually.
5: Okay, great. Well, my next project, I would like to make a feature script. I wrote a short film, another short film, but I would like to make a feature script. And um, I've been working on this treatment for this feature called Agony and Ecstasy. Ecstasy. And it's a um, about uh, a Southern evangelist in North Car- from North Carolina, who is, that goes to NYC to find her long lost godson to bring him back to North Carolina before his stepfather, um, before his father dies, his sick father dies. And she discovers when she's in New York um, looking for him, looking for her godson, that her godson is a sex worker. And um, so it's kind of a clash of beliefs and, An unlikely friendship evolves between the two. Um, And this film was inspired by Taxi Driver. Um, So that's, um, I would like for that, if I had an unlimited budget, I would like to pursue that film, Agony and Ecstasy. Philippe. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Philippe. If you um, had an unlimited budget,
4: what would your next film project be?
2: Um, So it would uh, also be to make a feature um this th- this year I'm I'm following um a screenwriting type of course at um at a film school called La in in France and you get to write um uh, like to develop the writing of a feature film so I'm nearing the end of, of the writing of the script and it would be nice to think that with the money I could actually just go straight into production so um so that's what it would be and, and the story again kind of looks at uh, uh, men and kind of uh, desires that they have and what feels sometimes forbidden and what they wanna do, what you, who you think you should be, who you wanna be, uh, it seems to be a recurring theme that, uh, <laughs> that I have, so that, uh, that's what I would do with it. Fingers crossed. Of course,
4: thank you, thank you Philippe. Um, the same question to Kadeen. If you had an unlimited budget, um, what would be your next film project?
0: I'm um, I'm a massive lover of like psychological thrillers. Um, but I mean, if we've got unlimited budget, just make another black superhero movie. Why not? Like, something cool, something fun. Um, yeah, cause I feel like sometimes. When you make stuff that's like even though it's a niche that you're into or genre that you're into like there's a lot that can come with that sometimes and i think sometimes it's nice to just switch it up so yeah i'd want to do like something fun like a yeah superhero film or like an animated movie or something yeah
4: and thanks Green, and shakira to you as well if you had unlimited budget what would be your next film project
3: I absolutely love sci fi. Anything sci fi is, I'm there. So um, it would have to be in that genre. I was actually quite all figured out in my head. It would be like a cross between um, Blade Runner, Star Trek, and Black Panther. And it would be about a a royal family that live in a a matriarchal society and like a planet far, far away. And they have to figure out um, how to stop a coup um, because the opposition wants to instill the first ever king on that planet?
4: Yeah, I can see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's dope, yeah. I'm um, a massive sci-fi fan myself, um, in case you care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, right, that's cool. Um, yeah, everyone had that question, question. cool. Um, what I would like is for you, if you just let me know all your social media handles, just so people can find you um, after watching the film on Apple TV app as well um that would be awesome so if we i'll just go left to right so kadeem shakira philippe the mic um just let us know uh, what your social media media handles are how we can find you
0: um i think the more important one is just like the bad raccoon media one so uh that's bad raccoon two c's two o's media um on youtube on instagram on facebook uh yeah
4: does that happen to be
0: the jumper that you're wearing as well? Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got a right, man. I got a wrap.
3: Sure. Um, yep. So you can find me personally on Twitter only. So um, it's at Who is Shack underscore? Shack is with a Q. Um, and um, on sort of Insta, Insta, Facebook, and Twitter as well, you can follow the Basement Bunch. Um, that is a f- film collective that I'm working with. Um, um, film well led and we want to create stories um, for our community. So, um, yeah, give us a follow. Uh,
2: Philippe? Um, yeah, mine is fairly simple. And, on Twitter, it's my name, so at Philippe Audido. Um And on Instagram, it's at Phil do. So, and, um, and yeah, and on Facebook, we'll there's see a, there's a page under my name.
5: Hi, uh, so on Instagram, I'm Mike Brown Film. Um, all one word, and on Twitter, uh, Mike underscore Brown 100. So I would love more followers. (laughs) Thank you. Cool. Thank
4: you. Thank you, guys, all of you, especially, and also thank you for all the people who've been watching the Buff 2020 Filmmaker Program Q&A. You can watch all these films right now on Apple TV app. If you want a direct link, please visit the website, which is British Urban and you can follow all the action and the socials using the hashtag hashtag# buff2020 Yeah, that's
3: it. Thanks. Thank you so much
2: thank you. thank you yeah and great to meet everyone hopefully yeah, one yeah. day in the flash
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah. I Look forward to watching all your films too as well. It's so nice to hear kind of thoughts behind them as well so when you see them it just makes it even extra special um, as well
5: Yeah.